Our text for this morning's sermon is John 1, verses 4 through 13. John 1, 4 through 13. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you give us insight this morning into the mystery of Christ's power, his creative power to create spiritual life. God, I pray that you give us humility, that we might give all credit to Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just uh, let you know in your uh, notes that you have in your bulletin, uh, for those of you who are note takers and like to write all the scripture references, you don't have to do that. Those are on the back. And uh, this morning, I'm just warning you, we're going to go through a lot of different texts and I'm going to be kind of moving fast. Uh, so I just want to free you up to listen rather than jot down all these different texts and uh, just ask the Lord to speak to you through um, his word. Last week, we looked at the first uh, few verses of John 1, and then at verse 14, and we were amazed that the word, which points to Jesus, the word is Jesus, uh, was eternal. He eternally existed as a person who was in relation to the Father. And so we started to see the Trinity come into shape as the Word was in the beginning with God. And we looked at how the Word, through the Word, God created the whole world, the universe. And one of the truths we looked at is we looked at the size of the universe. We looked at what does it mean that the word spoke a star into existence? And so if I were to test you this Sunday and ask, how are the stars shining? Or from where do they get their beginning? You all 
ought to know how to answer that question. You would say, the stars are shining because the word spoke them into existence. The word is Jesus Christ and Christ has created them. It would be silly if we were given a front row seat to let's say the creation of the sun, a star that's close to us, if we were to watch it happen and all of a sudden it comes into existence and we were to say, yes, good job, star. Way to become gassy and burn. That was awesome. You're so good at it. We would say, no, that is idolatry. That is giving praise to the creation rather than the creator. Why are the stars shining? Because Christ created them. What's the purpose? Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, that we look at them and worship. And yet we tend to do something silly with a greater miracle. If I were to ask you, how are Christians shining? How are Christians shining? From where do they get their beginning? What is their purpose? I think many Christians would give a odd answer. It might go something like, they're shining because of this wonderful thing called free will. Where they became smart and believed the gospel. And so then, because they did that good thing, then God made them shine. And... As I said, I think that's a weird answer. When you look at what Scripture says about how, how would we answer that question? How are we shining? What is their purpose? When we believe in Christ, is it so everyone can say, good job, you did it. You became a shiny Christian. You say, well, that's, weird language to describe Christians as, but in Matthew 13, 43, Jesus said, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. In Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are a light, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In Philippians 2, 14, Paul writes and he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. How does that happen? How does a person go from a grumbler to a worshiper, someone who's thankful 
and giving glory to God? That's the question set before us. And I think the answer is in verses 14 through or, or 4 through 13. So let's look at John 1 together. The first three verses we looked at last week. In the beginning was the Word. He was already there before anything was created. The Word was with God. And that word with means towards God, towards the Father. The Word before time began was in relation towards the Father He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. He's the creator. And in case we missed it, without him was not anything made that was made. The Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong. Jesus is not a a creation of God. They may say he's the greatest creation. No, he's God. He was there in the beginning. And so we saw that Jesus was eternally existent in fellowship with the Father. He was God. He is God. And he's the creator of everyone and everything. And then in verse 4 is where we're going to pick up today. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, before we just dive in, I just want you to look at your notes. I want you to see the odd progression of this text. Jesus has life and light inside himself. That's verses 4 and 5. John points to the light. That's verses 6 through 8. In verses 9 to the 11, it says this, that the light came into the world and Everyone rejected him, both Jew and Greek. Everyone. And then the Bible seems to contradict itself. Because the very next verse, in verse 12, says, some received him. All rejected him, but some received him. You see the tension? Well, that's where we see the meaning of the text in verse 12. So just so you get the flow, let's look at it. In him was life. He's the self-existing one. We get life because God gave us life. Jesus has life coming out of him. He is life. That's how he created the world. But in verse 4, John is not being repetitive, but he uses the Greek word zoe, which means spiritual life. Every time John uses this form of life, he's not using bios, where you get your physical life, or suke. He's using the word Uh, Zoe, which points to spiritual life. In Christ is spiritual life. he, He has eternal life. And we're told that the life was the light. 
The life was the light of men. Now, verse 4 tells us that you can't separate life and light. If you're going to have life, then you're going to have to know what God looks like and know who he is because it's by knowing God and seeing God is how we have knowledge. It's how we know who we are and who he is. It's where all truth comes from. And Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the picture of who God is. In him is life. And if man is ever going to have spiritual life, it's going to come through the only one who has spiritual life. It's going to come from God. It's not something we can conjure up on our own. In Acts 3.14, Jesus, here, here, listen to the title for Jesus. Peter's preaching and he He's saying to Israel, he's saying, you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. What a statement. You killed the author of life. In Acts 17, 28, we're told that in God, in him, we live and move and have our being, our physical life. In Psalm 36, 9, we're told, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. John 5, 26 says, for as the Father has life in himself, he doesn't get it from somewhere else. That's what it means to be God. So he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus is eternal life. Where is eternal life? It's him. That's why John will later say, if you don't have the son, you don't have life. You don't have eternal life. And then in verse five, it says, the light, which is the life, shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. Now that's the greatest miracle in the Bible. Because the darkness is inside your heart. You're born with it. You're born spiritually dead. We're going to look at that in a moment. Spiritually dead. Not spiritually sick. Spiritually dead. And so unless the life or the light can overcome darkness and death, we have no hope. But there's good news because the darkness has not overcome this life. So much so that Paul tells those in Colossae, he says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This light, Christ, can deliver us from the domain 
of darkness. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so we see that life is in Christ. And we see that light is that life. Look at verse 6. John points to the light. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, William Hendrickson, a commentator, helpfully put side by side John the Baptist and Jesus. Christ was from all eternity. John came into existence. Christ is the word. John is a mere man. Christ is himself God. John is commissioned by God. Christ is the real light. John came to testify concerning the real light. Christ is the object of our trust. John is the agent through whose testimony men come to trust in the real light. John is not the light. That's clear, right? He came to testify about the light. But then we see that all reject him in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now we already saw that Jesus created the whole world. And that in Romans 1, we see that that creation teaches us about God. The heavens declare his glory. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. And so through Christ's creation, we already ought to know God. He's the one that gives light to everyone. And he was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Now the world is anyone who's not the Jews. Because in verse 11 it says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So here's what happens. The light comes into the world and the world didn't know him and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. That's what happened. If we have time at the end, I'll show you the parallel in John 3. Same, same uh, format. In John 3.19, here's how he says it. This is the judgment. Light is come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here's why the people did not receive Christ. Here's why all rejected him. The people loved darkness rather than the light. They didn't love him. They loved their sin. Is there anyone here who does not have evil deeds? Because it said they didn't receive him because their works were evil. That's what happened. They all rejected him. Some might think 
that there was good ones left and they received him and the bad ones didn't receive him. That's not the testimony of scripture. The testimony is men loved darkness. Neither the Greeks nor the Jews received the light when he came into the world. Now, someone might say, what about our free will to choose Christ? Didn't some choose him out of their free will? Well, whenever we talk about free will, it's important that we define what we mean by free will. Most people mean that free will is the ultimate self-determination in regards to their life and their salvation. While there's many who will say, God must draw us, he's got to do 99% of it, to have free will means we cast the final vote. The final self-determination comes down to us. That's what most people say when they think of free will. That's what most people mean by it. That's what uh, a Wesleyan would mean when they're talking about free will. But the question is, is what kind of free will does the Bible talk about? Because we make choices. It's true. We're not robots. We make good choices. We make bad choices. We make moral choices. We have a freedom to choose whether we want a Big Mac or a Whopper. But the interesting thing is, is the Bible says that those choices are not free, but they're enslaved to something. Our choices, according to the scripture, are enslaved to our preferences and our desires. If you have a preference for a Whopper, you will get a Whopper. If you have preference to try to override your free will and get a Big Mac, well, then you'll get a Big Mac, but you're still enslaved to your preferences. And the problem with mankind is we have a nature that is spiritually dead. So our freedom is limited to the nature we have. Someone says to me, well, Sam, I believe in free will. I say, really, what kind of free will? Ultimate self-determination? Yes. Okay. Become a lion right now. Chase that deer down in the field. Kill it and drag it back. Well, I can't do that. Oh, so your freedom is limited to your nature. You can only do what a human being does. Well, yeah, of course. Well, we have a physical nature and we have a spiritual nature. And we have the freedom to choose what sins we want to do and how we want to sin. But what no one can do is change their nature. The Bible teaches that we're not free, ultimate self-determination, but we're enslaved to our preferences. Romans 6.16 do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one in whom you obey, either which is sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So if you sin, Paul says, you're a slave to sin. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Here's what kind of nature we have, according to Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 1. Listen, and you were dead, not sick, dead, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We were dead and enslaved to every sinful fleshly desire. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were, listen, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Jesus comes as light into the world and the world rejects him. But, look at verse 12. But to all who received him. If you read verse 11, it says, the world didn't know him and his own didn't receive him. But then we're told, but to all who received him. To which we should all say, what happened? How did that happen? But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Only those who believe are children of God. Make the note first off. What do you hear on TV? We're all children of God because we're created by him. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees that your father is the devil. But this says, whoever receives Christ is given the right to become a child of God. How can that happen? When our nature is a nature that brings wrath upon us because we're enslaved to sin. Well, John wants you to know because he highlights this text in three loud, not like this, not like this, not like this, like this. Look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood. Here's how you do not become a child of God. Your Christians were parents and they give birth to you. That is not how you become a Christian. Not by blood. It's not passed down to you. Not by the will of the flesh. Your will inside you, you can't conjure up enough will to become a Christian. I can do it somewhere down there. There's something in me that can get rid of my slavery to sin. I can love him. I can believe in him. I can trust him. Not according to John 1.13, you can't. Not according to the will of the flesh. Because we're spiritually what? Dead. By nature, children of wrath. 
And just in case we're not getting the hint yet, it says, nor of the will of man. There's no man-made religious system that can make you a Christian. Whether it's Catholicism, whether it's Islam, whether it's whatever, man cannot create a system by which you become a Christian. John MacArthur writes, those three negative statements stress the fact that salvation is not attainable through any racial or ethnic heritage, the blood, personal desire, the flesh, nor man-made system, man. But, what does it say? Of God. There's one way to become a Christian, to be born of God. We can't change our nature. What is the new birth? J.C. Ryle writes this. The birth here spoken of is the new birth or regeneration. That complete change of heart and nature which, which takes place in a man when he becomes a real Christian. It is a change so great that no other figure but the birth but that of birth can fully express it it's when a new being with new appetites and new wants and new desires is brought into the world a person is born of god that is born of god is a new creature the old things have passed away behold new things have come second corinthians 5:17 and then he says nor yet did believers become what they are by the will of the flesh, that is, by their efforts and exertions, or of their own natural hearts. Nature can never change itself. And then he goes on. We must be careful that we do not interpret the words which were born as if the new birth was a change which takes place in a man after he's believed in Christ. And is the next step after faith. Saving faith and regeneration or the new birth are inseparable. The moment that a man really believes in Christ, however feebly he is born of God, the weakness of his faith may make him unconscious of the change, just as a newborn infant knows little or nothing about itself. But where there is faith, there is always new birth. And where there is no faith, there is no new birth. Many people think you believe in God, then God gives you the gift of the new birth. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches if faith is there, the new birth just happened. How do you know a baby's alive when it's born? <sighs> Breathes. Cries. The new birth, when God bursts it out, what's the breath of the new birth? Faith. Where there's faith, there's been a supernatural birth, birthed out by God. 1 John 5.1 says it as plain as you can say it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has already been born of God. It's in the perfect tense, Gegenau. 
It means an event that happened in the past and is present now. So if anyone believes in Jesus, an event already happened. They were born back here, which caused them to believe, and they're believing now in the present. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, what's water and spirit? Well, in the Bible, back in Jesus' day, they didn't have book names with verse references. So you would say a line in a certain text so people would know what you were talking about. And so when he says, unless one is born of water and spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, he's pointing to Ezekiel 36, which describes this miraculous event. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone that was dead from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. He's telling Nicodemus, this Jew, he's saying, Unless God does this work on the inside, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thinks he's going to get in by being a good person. It's why Peter starts his letter in 1 Peter 1.3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Why were you born again? Because you were smarter? Because of his great mercy. He caused us to be born again. Or how about 2 Corinthians 5.16? Paul says, from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. They used to look at Christ and say, oh, he's just a man. And he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. There's a new birth that happens. The old is gone and the new is come. And then no one reads verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 15.45, speaking of our resurrection, he says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. How? Jesus created him. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. How are you going to become spiritually alive? You better be in Christ. He's the one that gives spiritual life. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Now listen, listen to this. Paul just gets done saying, he says, he says, you know what? We just preach the word plain as day. We don't tamper with it. We just preach it. And then he says this, talking about those who reject the message. He says, in their case, 
the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They're not victims. So Satan blinds unbelievers. They weren't believers and then he blinded them. But Satan makes them more blind. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then here's how he tells the Corinthians they became Christians. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. What's he quoting? Back to Genesis 1. That God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. How did Christians become shining by the way they love God and love others? Well, just like God said, let there be light for the stars. He said that to us and life happened and we believed the gospel. A miracle. We were born unbelievers. We don't have two-year-olds that aren't selfish. Some aren't good. Some aren't, you know, it's not like there's good ones and bad ones. They're all bad ones. They all sin. They're all selfish. They're all in need of sovereign grace, a God to speak life into existence. And Christ chooses... And this might bother you. It bothered me when I started seeing this in the scripture. Whom he makes the light shine in. He calls us to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's God's job to turn the lights on. Listen, John 5.21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he will. You want to know what that means? The son gives life to whomever he will. It's not. Tricky. Matthew 16, 15. Right when Peter declares Jesus as the Christ. Jesus says to him, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Blessed are you. You've received the new birth. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Luke 10, 22, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father or the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. John 6, 27, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, the son of God has set his seal. And a few verses later, he says, for the bread of God, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. 
Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then in verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to the Father who, or no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. And then in verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. John 10.25, Jesus answered them. Don't miss this one. I told you, he's speaking to the Pharisees. They're saying, speak to us plainly. Are you this Messiah? Jesus said, I told you and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. Evidence is on the table, he's saying. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The reason he says you're not following me is he says, you're not my sheep. And then he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Ephesians 1.3. Here's where we worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will and the sounding drum throughout all of Ephesians 1 is to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. If you're trusting in Christ, it's to the praise of His glorious grace. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Acts 13, 48, after Paul and Barnabas preach a sermon. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed when Paul and Barnabas preached? As many who were appointed to eternal life. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. These are victory texts. I'm going to finish with these. Listen to the reversal. And you were, Ephesians 2, dead in your trespasses and sins. Now he's writing to Christians, right? In which you once walked, following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now get this. Lean into this. 
but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one will boast. You are shining so that God will get all the glory. It's impossible for us to be Christians. We loved darkness. But if you're sitting here today trusting in Jesus, it's a greater miracle than a star that's set flaming in the heavens. By grace, we've been saved. By his mercy. Here's how Paul said it to, to Titus in Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember what I read earlier, Romans six sixteen, how we were slaves to sin. Listen, how we're redeemed. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one in whom you obey? either to sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to life. But thanks be to God, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. Paul says, thanks be to God for that. Paul says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's the only thing that matters, he says. The new birth. Because he wasn't crucified to the world before. He was all about circumcision. But he says, I'm crucified to that now because I'm a new creation. 1 John 5.11 And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. If you're a Christian here today, know that Christ, who is God, who is eternally with the Father, spoke the world into creation. And he also created life, spiritual life, where there was no life before. And let's just admit, it's a mystery. What do I do? I preach the gospel to everyone. Why? That, that, that's what I'm called to do. Christ called me to preach the gospel. 
It's God's job to pour the Holy Spirit into a person's heart, to take out the heart of stone, to put in the heart of flesh. I can't do that. The reason why this church will not tamper with the word of God or try to get people saved through schemes is because we believe salvation is a miracle of God that God does through the preaching of the gospel. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. God will never do wrong. He'll give some justice and he gives some mercy. And Paul tells us in Romans 9, who are you, O man, to talk back to God and say that's not fair? What's fair is we all receive judgment. But God in his mercy has sent his son and he's given us the gospel to preach to the ends of the earth. How is this practical? Sam, why do you preach that? That's controversial. That's hard to understand. There's a mystery to it. Well, yes, there's a mystery to it. There's a mystery how the little baby is the one who spoke the star into existence. I'm not saying there's no mystery. There's a mystery there. But look at how this changes your life. I saw this this morning on Desiring God's website. Five effects of believing the sovereignty of God in sovereign grace. It'll humble us. You'll quit looking at the non-believers and say, man, they're stupid. It'll make you worship God and be humbled that you've been shown grace. It fills us with thank thankfulness that God would have mercy on one such as me. It grants us assurance. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. If you started the good work, then you got to keep it up. But he who began a good work, of, Paul says, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You're saved by the power of God. You're sanctified by the power of God. You'll be glorified by the power of God. It gives us hope for others. You maybe have that family member who's never believed and you've given up hope a long time ago. Well, here's the thing. It's just as big a miracle for an eight-year-old to receive Christ when they hear the gospel as it is for a 99-year-old atheist who's rejected God his whole life. You still need a supernatural miracle of a dead heart becoming alive and if this is how salvation works, then we preach the gospel to everyone and we never lose hope and we never stop. Paul plants, Apollos waters. It's God who gives the growth. We don't lose hope. And last, all glory goes to God. If one ounce is left to you, then 99% glory to God, 1% to us. That's blasphemy. No. Christ is the one who gave us life because he has life in and of himself. What a gift we have in Christ. Father, I pray that everyone here would know this new birth. Father, if there's someone here who's worried that they're not saved let them know that they must simply just cling to Jesus, the one who bore their sin on the cross. If they cling to him by faith, well, then they've been born again.
God, I pray you would do that work. In Jesus' name, amen.